This is Josh Smith, pastor of Prince Avenue Baptist Church in Bogart, Georgia. Our mission at Prince is simple, leading people to trust and follow Jesus. And it's our hope that this sermon would help accomplish that mission. For more information about our church, visit us at pabc.org. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Josh. And as he just read from Matthew chapter 9, I want to invite you to take your Bibles out. Hope you have that with you and uh, turn to Matthew chapter 9. It's really good to be here in the second service. I'm a first service person, and so I don't get to see a lot of you. Right. And so we would love to invite some of you to come to the first service. We've got space there, <clears throat> and we'd love to have you join us. I, I'm so thrilled about the opportunity to stand before you this morning and open God's word and, and hopefully in some way um, for us together corporately to really capture the heart of Jesus. One of the things that I love about Prince Avenue Baptist Church is that we have a very clear and compelling mission statement. And many of you could quote this with me, but it's to lead people to trust and follow Jesus. And basically that's just a summary of the great commission that Jesus gave to his followers before he, instant, before he ascended into heaven. And uh, it's very simple, but it's very true that we want to lead people to trust and follow Jesus. But along with that mission, we also have a compelling vision. And Pastor Josh unpacked this for us back in the fall uh, when we were going through our Moore series and just talking about what the vision of Prince Avenue Baptist Church is. And so let me just share that with you as well. Our vision is to be the visible presence of Jesus in our community, a healthy and growing family of faith that is passionate about experiencing, enjoying, and expanding God's presence to our neighbors and to the nations. Did you hear that? We want to be a movement of God here at Prince that is serious about expanding the presence of God to our neighbors and to the nations. And so over these next few weeks through uh, the emphasis that Pastor Josh just mentioned to us about praying and fasting for 21 days and then writing down the names of people that we're going to be committed to praying for and sharing the gospel with, uh, we want to be a people that are serious about fulfilling that vision. But this morning, I don't want us to simply focus on the action steps. So I'm so prone to do that at times where it's like, okay, let's get to work. Let's go do it. I think it's important for us this morning to understand the why behind our mission, the heart behind our mission. In fact, I would say it this way. This morning, I don't want you to do anything. I want you to feel something. I want you to hopefully, as we go through this text together, capture the very heart of our Lord Jesus Christ toward those who are broken and those who are lost. And that's our goal today. Uh, if you've ever seen the movie Schindler's List, the last scene of the movie is incredibly moving. Oscar Schindler has been used to uh, save over 100 Jews, bribing Nazi guards to just a lot of different things that he did to save these Jews. And so the war has come to an end and the Jews are going to be free and Oscar Schindler is going to be a fugitive. And so all of these Jews that have been rescued from the Holocaust are standing around to thank Oscar Schindler and he's walking toward his car. 
And as he's walking toward the car and he's looking over the people that have been saved, he's moved with great emotion. So much so that he looks at the lapel pin on his jacket and he looks at his Jewish friend next to him. He says, if, if I would have just sold this, I could have saved at least one or two more. And then when he gets closer to his car, he actually breaks down and falls to his knees. And he says, if I would have just sold this, I could have saved at least 10 more. And it, the scene concludes by him just breaking down with tears and grief saying, I could have done more. Oscar Schindler was grieved and moved. And the scene really depicts a man moved by a vision and a desire much greater than his own comfort, goals, and agenda. He's moved by the plight of others. He's moved by those who have suffered and died under Hitler's Holocaust. But as important as Schindler's mission was, folks, family of God here at Prince, brothers, sisters, can I just say to you, you and I have a far more compelling and a far more important mission. As we look at the world around us, we are told now that there are some 8 billion people that call planet Earth home. 8 billion. Of those 8 billion people, over 3 billion of them are considered unreached. What do you mean by that? What do I mean by unreached? That means that those individuals, those 3 billion plus, will be born, live their entire lives, and die without ever once meeting a Christian, going to a church, reading a Bible in their own language, or ever hearing the gospel. Now, to put that into perspective, I want you to think about this with me. That 3.1 billion people represents 33,000 Sanford stadiums filled with lost people. That ought to do something to us. That ought to move us. That, that should on some level be unacceptable to us. 33,000 Sanford stadiums full, not of Georgia Bulldog fans, but of people who've never heard the gospel. Now, two of the places that those unreached represent are two places that Prince Avenue Baptist Church is involved. One is in Japan, where by God's grace, we're helping to plant a church in the city of Hiroshima. We'll be sending a team there this year. In Japan, over 99% of the Japanese people are unreached, do not have a relationship with God. The country of Nepal, you've been hearing us pray about Nepal and talk about Nepal here for a long time. Over 30 million people in Nepal. Out of those 30 million, there are 258 unreached people groups. Many of those people groups have zero access to the gospel. They don't have a Bible in their language. They don't have a church in their, in their, in their, in their uh, culture. They are separated from the good news and the love of Christ. Now you say, wow, that's the world, but what about our own nation? Aren't we supposed to be a Christian nation? Well, Barna did some research and found the following about our own country. 40% of Americans are unchurched, meaning they have no religious affiliation whatsoever. 
They're not like you. They're not coming to church on Sunday morning. They're doing other things today, 40% of Americans. And of the 60% that are church attenders, 20% of those believe that by uh, living a good moral life, you can go to heaven. So what does that tell us when we put those two statistics together? 40% unchurched, 20% who go to church but don't believe the gospel or understand the gospel. That's telling us that over 60% of our own country is broken, lost, separated from the love of God. Ricky Zell, pastor in South Carolina, summed it up this way. Of the nearly 8 billion people in the world, it's estimated that 30 million people worldwide will die without Christ this year. 30 million. And of the over 300 million people in this country, it's estimated that 40% of them are radically unchurched. That means they don't go to church at all. Not Easter, not Christmas. They do not darken the doors of a church at any time in the year. And if they were to die, they would go to an eternal punishment without ever, ever knowing the love of Christ. Does that burden you? Do, do, we, do we feel at a minimum, do we feel the weight of that? 30,000 people, 30 million people, I'm sorry, dying this year without Christ. I want us to see in the scriptures this morning how Jesus felt about the broken and the lost and what he did about it. So let's look again at the text that Pastor Josh read just a moment ago and dig into it a little deeper. Verse 35, Matthew chapter nine. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out labors into his harvest. Pray with me again for just a moment. God, would you take this text, these words, burn them deep in our heart. God, help us to be captured and gripped by the heart of Jesus this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. We get this picture of Jesus ministering and proclaiming the gospel and meeting needs, and then we see his heart gripped by compassion. This morning, I want us to see three important truths about the heart of Jesus for lost and broken people. The first is this, his heart compels him to speak. His heart compels him to speak. Have you ever noticed that we love to talk about things that are important to us? Just look at social media. Uh, don't look at it right now. Don't pull out your phones, please. Okay. But many of you are on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter, right? And yesterday I was just on Facebook scrolling through and, and what do you see there? You see people posting about their kids and their grandkids. Some of them grandkids, those grandkids are mine. <laughs> Pretty proud of them. Right? We, we see people talk about sports and politics and a myriad of different things. Why? Because we talk about things that we care about. I want you to notice here in verse 35 that Jesus does the same thing. Jesus talks about that which he cares most about. Verse 35, it says that he was teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming proclaiming the gospel. What does that mean? The word proclaim means to 
announce a message with the goal to persuade, urge, or warn. In other words, there was a sense of urgency in Jesus' message. This wasn't just a casual thing that Jesus was doing. He was gripped by it. He was moved by a sense of urgency. Why? Because he wasn't simply proclaiming any message. He was proclaiming the gospel. Listen, the message of the gospel clearly mattered to Jesus because he knew that it was that message, that news that would set sinners free from sin and death and bring them into a right relationship with God. And this is the very purpose for which he came. This is the exact purpose for which he came. You say, how do you know that? Well, when Jesus is encountering Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19, he says this to Zacchaeus in Luke 19.10, for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. There's no ambiguity there. Why was Jesus here? What was Jesus's mission? What was Jesus's burden and passion? What moved Jesus? What motivated Jesus? He wanted to seek and save the lost. He longed for sinners to know the love of God that he would ultimately demonstrate by dying in their place. In fact, you could say it this way. If there's no gospel message, then there's no gospel mission. So what is the gospel? I don't want to assume this morning that everyone in this room understands what the gospel is. In fact, I'm convinced that many don't. It's a word that we use a lot. It's a word that we talk about a lot. lot. Certainly the Bible uses that word a great deal. The evangelion, right? The, The good news. But what is it? Well, simply stated, the gospel is the good news of who Jesus Christ is and what he's done through his sinless life, his sacrificial death, his victorious resurrection to rescue sinners from sin and death and reconcile them to God. But not only that, to adopt those sinners into his family and call them sons and daughters. This is good news. Listen, this is amazing news. And this gospel of good news needs to be proclaimed with urgency because there are still so many in our our spheres of influence and in the world that have never heard this message. I love what Carl Henry once said. He said, the gospel is only good news if it gets there in time. Just think on that for a moment. It's only good news if it gets there in time. Now, you might be tempted to say, um, you know, Sky, I'm, I'm not really extroverted like some people on our staff are. I'm not, don't really have the gift of evangelism. I, I'm just, you know, there are some people that are really good at that. I'm, I'm not so much. So, you know, I just try to preach the gospel with my life. I just try to do it that way. Um, you, you may have heard this quote before. Uh, it's been attributed to St. Francis by Assisi. It says, preach the gospel at all times. If necessary, use words. That, that may sound noble in one way, right? Like, yeah, we, we want to demonstrate. We want to display the gospel by our lives. We're going to talk about that more in just a moment. But to not use words, how how do you communicate a message without using words? It would be akin to say, hey, give me your phone number and if necessary, use digits. Right? I mean, you, you can't. You have to have a message for it to be the gospel. So even though our actions may important, 
may be important. You're never going to lead someone to Christ simply by living a good life in front of them. That's important, but you're not going to lead them to Christ that way. Our lifestyle is not the gospel. I love the way Austin Gentry puts this. He says, the primary Christian mission is its message, not its morals. And significantly enough, the message of Christianity is not about the good things that you have done or will do for God, but about the good things Christ has done and will ever do for you. In other words, Christianity is primarily a message about the fact that God sent his son into the world to rescue sinners like you and me and to give us life, a new life in him. And Jesus proclaimed this gospel with urgency because he knew that it was people's greatest need. In other words, he loved them enough to tell them. You and I must be compelled by the love of God also if we're going to share the gospel with people around us who need it. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11 and following. Listen to this. Write that down. It's really important. Therefore, since we know what it means to fear the Lord, we try to persuade men. There's the urgency. For Christ's love compels us. Because we are convinced that one died for all, therefore all died, and he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. The word compelled in that text means literally to be held in a vice, to be gripped or controlled by a power that masters us. Think about that. Paul's saying that the, the love of Christ has so gripped us that we can't keep this message of the gospel to ourselves. We are so gripped by something bigger than ourselves, meaning the love of God, that we can't keep it in. Some of you have made, have heard the testimony or the statement of Penn Gillette of the famed magical group, Penn and Teller, Las Vegas act. Penn Gillette is a renowned atheist, very outspoken about his atheism. But he tells this story about a man who comes up to him at, at the end of one of his shows. This man is a little bit sheepish and reserved, but really kind of gripped by the gospel. This man goes up to Penn Gillette and hands him a Gideon Bible and encourages him to read it. Now, Penn Gillette did not become a believer, and as far as I know, is still not a believer. But he was deeply moved by the act of this man's compassion. Listen to what he says. He says, I've always said that I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there is a heaven and a hell, and people could be going to hell and not getting eternal life, and you think that it's really not worth telling them because this would make it socially awkward, how much do you have to hate someone to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? Oh, oh my goodness, don't miss this. An atheist telling believers that we need to be sharing the gospel. Listen, Jesus loved people so much that he was willing to speak the gospel to them. Jesus was not concerned about the approval of people. Jesus was not consumed by being liked. 
Jesus was burdened and gripped and moved and compelled by broken and lost people. And he wanted them to hear the good news that he came to die for. He loved them enough to speak to them. His heart compels him to speak and it should compel ours too. The second truth that I want us to see in this text this morning is that his heart compels him to serve, to serve. Look at verse 35. It says, and he was healing every disease and affliction. This word healing comes from the Greek word therapeo. It's where we get our word therapy, okay? So Jesus isn't only healing physical needs. He's making people whole. It, it could be translated this way, to serve or to restore to a right condition. So what we see in verse 35 is this, is that Jesus is not only declaring the gospel, he's displaying the gospel. He's doing both of those things hand in hand, hand in hand, declaring and displaying. And this is the normal pattern for Jesus. For Jesus to display the gospel was very normative for him. When we look at the New Testament accounts of Jesus in the gospels, we see Jesus consistently and regularly drawing near to the lost and to the broken. In fact, all we have to do is look back at chapters eight and chapters nine of Matthew coming right off of the Sermon on the Mount, we see Jesus entering into ministry and we see how he drew near to the lost and broken. Let's just look at a few examples of this. Jesus loves drawing near people. Uh, near people. In fact, I want you to notice in these verses, if we look at chapters eight and nine, just how close he gets to people. Just how close he gets. In, in chapter eight and verse three, Jesus heals a leper and listen to what it says. Jesus stretched out his hand and he touched, he touched him, a leper, a leper full of disease. In, in chapter eight, verse 15, Peter's mother-in-law is sick with a fever and this is what it says. He touched her hand and the fever left her. The paralytic in chapter nine, verse two, he, Jesus enters near the paralytic and he says to him, take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. You move on to Jesus' interaction with the sinners and the tax collectors. The, these are people that the religious establishment despised. They avoided, they stayed away from them. But notice what it says Jesus did. And Jesus reclined at the table in the house. And behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. Move on to verse 22 in chapter 9. The woman with the issue of blood says Jesus turned and seeing her, he said, take heart, daughter. Your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. It goes on. The ruler's dead daughter in Verse 35 of chapter nine, it says, and he went in and he took her by the hand and the girl arose. And then the last one we see is the two blind men in verse 29. It says this, Jesus touched their eyes and their eyes were opened. Jesus doesn't love from a distance. 
want you to get that. Jesus doesn't love from a distance. He draws near to the hurting, to the broken, to the lost. Erwin McManus says it this way, effective ministry is impossible if you cannot make a whole disciple out of broken people. We live in a world surrounded by broken people. Just think about it. And if we're going to express the heart of God to the broken around us, we have to draw near the way Jesus drew near. Now listen, I know that this makes some of us uncomfortable. It makes me uncomfortable. When I think about people around us that are different, different politically, different economically, different racially, different in terms of lifestyle and religion. These are the people that God has put us around. And if we're going to get the gospel to them, we have to be willing to draw near to them as well. I'm so thankful that there were people at the First Baptist Church of Missouri City, Texas in the 1980s that were willing to do that for me. Part of my story is that as a teenager, I was far from God. I didn't pretend to be a Christian. I didn't know Christ. I was just far from God. And I got caught up in the wrong crowd looking for acceptance and approval. So much so that I was dabbling in alcohol and drugs, just, just wanting to be, just wanting to fit in. But there was a group of teenagers at the First Baptist Church in Missouri City who, when I came to their church, welcomed me in. And I came because someone invited me, by the way. I'm talking to you teenagers. I didn't come because I was wanting to go to that church. It wasn't because they had a cool youth program and I thought, ooh, I want to go there. It was because teenagers in that youth group invited me to come, even though I was really different than them. And as they started loving me and accepting me, I felt like I belonged for the first time. And they said, Scott, you want to go on this retreat with us? We're going to go to Lookout Mountain, Georgia, to a conference called Christmas Challenge. And at that conference in Lookout Mountain, Georgia, on December 30th, 1982, there was a man who was preaching there named Barry St. Clair, who's sitting right over here. And this 16-year-old kid, far from God, who had been loved and accepted by students in that youth group, came down the aisle and gave his life to Jesus, and that was me. And Jesus changed my life. I'm so thankful that there were teenagers that were willing to draw near to somebody like me. I didn't fit the good little Christian profile, but they came after me. That's what Jesus does. Listen, one of the most beautiful demonstrations of the gospel is when we love and serve people who are different than us. I think of Yumi, Yumi Creed. I, I was telling you about Japan where we're going to be helping plant a church in Hiroshima this year. Yumi and her family uh, came from Japan to Kentucky where she enrolled in the University of Kentucky. Japanese didn't know anything about Christianity, didn't know anything about American culture. But there was a family in a church there that was willing to bring her into their home. And they loved Yumi. And they helped Yumi understand about American culture. And they accepted her for who she was. And they shared the gospel with her. 
And over a period of time, Yumi gave her life to Jesus. And now Yumi is married to Michael and they're living in Hiroshima, Japan, getting ready to plant a church. And she's sharing the gospel with her own people. Why? Because there were people that were willing to draw near to somebody who was different. There are people like that all around us. These are the kind of people that Jesus moved toward, not away from. Jesus moved away from the religious. He moved toward the broken and the hurting. And you and I must as well. If God's going to use us to make a difference in the lives of those that are far from God. Oscar Thompson, who was a professor at Southwestern Seminary years ago, wrote a book, wrote a book called Concentric Circles of Concern. And he dis- defined love this way. He said, love is meeting needs. So if we're going to love people that are lost, if we're going to love the broken, we got to meet their needs. We got to step into their lives and see how they're struggling and hurting and see how we can help. The heart of God's expressed through meeting the needs of others. And Jesus' heart compelled him to serve and enter their brokenness. The third thing I want us to see this morning is this, that his heart compels him to feel compassion. Look back at verse 36 with me again. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. I want you to see this morning the weightiness of this verse. He saw the crowds. What does that mean? That Jesus saw them. I think very simply it just means that Jesus slowed down enough to see people around him. You're probably like me. You have a schedule. You have a routine in your life. I love my schedule. I love my routine. I do. But often my schedule and routine can cause me to miss seeing people around me. I become oblivious to the needs of people around me. And maybe you do as well. But Jesus saw people. He saw their hurt. He saw their pain. But not only says that, it says that he had compassion on them. What does this mean that he had compassion for people? Literally, compassion means to suffer along with. I I, I love the way the message translation says uh, this in verse 36. It says, when he looked over the crowds, his heart broke. His heart broke. Listen, this wasn't unique to the earthly ministry of Jesus. So what do you mean by that? Well, Jesus is God incarnate, right? So Jesus is reflecting the very heart of the eternal God. You remember when Moses went up on Mount Sinai to get the words of the law from God, to hear from God, to know who God is and what God demands. God graciously reveals himself to Moses. And what is it that God wants Moses and God's people to know about him. There's this moment. God's speaking to Moses. What is it that he says? Exodus 34, 6 tells us exactly what God says to Moses. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. God says, Moses, I want you 
And I want my people to know that I am a compassionate and gracious and merciful God. And aren't you thankful for that? Aren't you thankful for that? I am. Thank God for his mercy. Thank God for his compassion. Because we would be lost and dead in our sins without it today. But what does it mean in verse 36 in Matthew 9 when Jesus is described as having compassion for them? Well, it's a Greek word. I'm not going to try to pronounce it today. But mean, it literally means to feel from the gut. It means to feel from the bowels. Like there's this gut-wrenching emotion that Jesus is feeling when he looks upon the lost and the broken. Compassion is not simply an emotion though. It's an emotion that leads to action. This same Greek word for compassion is used at least two other times in the New Testament. One time it's described of the father and his heart for his prodigal son. You know the story. In Luke 15, 20, this is what it says. But while he, the son, was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. So the father's feeling the same kind of inner angst and pain that Jesus is feeling that causes him to run toward his broken, sinful, prodigal son. It's the same word that's used in Luke chapter 7. When Jesus' heart is expressed for the widow in Nain who had lost her only son and she's grieving like any parent would grieve that's lost a child. I can't even imagine that kind of pain some of you have experienced. But Jesus, when he sees this woman who has a widow and has lost her son, listen to what it says in verses 13 and 14. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her. Same word. He hurt. And then he came and he touched the coffin and the bearers stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. Jesus literally felt physical and emotional pain over the lost and broken condition of people so much, so much, that he was not only willing to step in and heal them, he was willing to die for them. That kind of emotion doesn't come easy for me. I, I don't know about you. I'm not, a, I'm not a feeler by nature. Karen, my wife, is more of the feeler in the relationship. But I'm asking God to break my heart for the lost. And so we need to answer the question this morning. Are we willing to let God break our hearts for our neighbors who are far from God, for our coworkers, for family members, for the nations that don't know Christ. Listen to the way, the way the apostle Paul describes the anguish that he felt toward the lost in Romans 9.1. He says, I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I wish that I myself were accursed or cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers and kinsmen according to the flesh. Did you hear that? Paul said, my heart is so broken over the loss, the lostness and the brokenness of my kinsmen, of my people, 
that I myself would be willing to be cut off and accursed if they could simply know Christ. That's a level of compassion and burden that is rare, but I believe is necessary if we're going to make a difference in reaching people for Christ. I believe the main reason our hearts don't break for the loss is we've forgotten what it's like to be lost. Um, I can, there's been moments in my life where I felt glimpses of this kind of emotion. I was in Nepal back in November with a group and one of the days we went out and went to some homes to share the gospel with people. And the second home we were in, we were sitting with this older gentleman and uh, we started sharing the gospel with him and had just, actually other people in the home began to gather around, even some others in the village came and gathered around and started sharing the gospel with this man. And he was tracking, he was responding. I thought very, I was very encouraged that maybe this man might give his life to Christ. And, but at the end of the conversation, he said, but I don't know what's gonna happen to me after I die. Buddhist tradition says this, 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 this. And so I tried to answer those objections and get him back to the gospel, but he could not get past those objections. And so we ended up just praying for him and leaving. And as I was walking down that dirt road back to the place that we were staying, I felt pain. I felt grief in my heart because I thought this man has just had the moment of his life to receive the greatest news that's ever been given to mankind. And he said, no, not knowing if he would ever hear the good news again. And I felt grief in my heart. Listen, in order for us to truly care about people, we have to understand their plight apart from Christ. And verse 36 tells us what it is. It says they're harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Think about it. These words describe your life apart from Christ. Harassed, helpless like sheep without a shepherd. It describes your family, friends, and neighbors without Christ. It describes the nations without Christ. Listen, there are people all around us who are living lives harassed and helpless without a good shepherd. Broken marriages and family relationships, alcoholism and drug addiction, loneliness and isolation, fear and anxiety. Ralph Waldo Emerson said it this way, people are living lives of quiet desperation. And if we are going to be effective in the mission of God, we need and must, it's essential for us to have the heart of Christ and to express it. Jesus cares about people. We must care about people too. His heart compelled him to feel compassion and that compassion leads to action. Jesus desires for his church to be an expression of his heart. I believe that. Think about it. Here we are gathered today as the church of God here at Prince. Jesus desires us when we leave here to be the visible presence of God, but even more than that, to be an expression of God's heart to the world. How do we do that? We do that by stepping in. We do that by leaning in. We, be, we do that by, will, uh, by, by our willingness to do the hard things. I want to introduce you to a couple of young ladies, Aya and Naro. I met Aya and Naro in Nepal a couple of years ago. These two young women are single 
They have been sent by their church in India, one of the largest churches in India, to be missionaries in Lingam, Nepal. They live in this little house that is a tin roof, as you can see, and wooden walls and wooden floors. Right now in January in Nepal, they're getting feet of snow. It's brutally cold there. They don't have heat. In the summertime, they will have leeches on that floor and they will have snakes that, they, that come into their house from time to time. They've made a five-year commitment to living in that village to share the gospel. Both of them are school teachers there. When we were there in November, several of us went to their home and just visited with them and prayed with them. And I just asked them the question, what's, what's God doing in your ministry? And I was blown away by their response. Aya, the girl standing next to me, said, one of my students is a Nava boy and he wanted me to visit his village. He wanted me to meet his parents. He wanted me, because all the kids from surrounding villages come to this village to go to school. So he said, I want you to meet my parents. Well, she knew that it was going to be a two-day trek, mostly uphill. And she said, I don't like trekking. That's not my thing. She said, but I really believed that God wanted me to meet his family and share the gospel with them. She said, so I made one of the hardest treks of my life and I trekked for two days to their village and I had the opportunity to share the gospel with my students' parents and they became believers. That's awesome. Two-day trek. Naro, I said, well, Naro, what's, tell me a little bit about what God's done in your life this year. She said, there was a guy in town that was basically the town drunk and every night he was just making noise and keeping people up and just causing a ruckus. And she said, God began to burden my heart for him and then she went on to say, God led me to pray and fast for 40 days for his salvation. She didn't say it like, oh, look at me, I'm praying. She, she said it so matter of fact, like, yeah, like wouldn't anybody? That's the way she said it almost. She, God led me to pray and fast for 40 days for this man's salvation and he became a believer. And the four of us that were in the room talking with him were just jaw open, like, we don't need to be praying for you. You need to be praying for us <laughs> kind of thing. See, th this is what compassion looks like. This is what compassion looks like when we are so moved by lostness and brokenness that we're willing to step into the mission of God. So let me just call us to prayer today. Next week, Pastor Josh is gonna come and he's gonna give some more specific action steps that we can take as a church family. You're going to hear more about that. But I believe today as we close, the most important thing is, is that we get on our knees and we ask God to grip our hearts with the compassion and the love of Christ. With the compassion and the love of Christ. So if you're willing and able right where you are, I want to ask you to kneel. If you're not, just stay seated in your seat. There's several things that I want you to ask God for in this moment. First, I want you to ask God to overwhelm you with his love for you. God has been so gracious and merciful and compassionate to you. Thank him for that. Ask him to overwhelm you again with his mercy and grace and compassion. 
Ask God to give you his heart for those around you who are far from God, to help you see them, to notice them, to be aware of them. Ask God to give you a compassion that would lead you to serve them and to share with them the good news of Jesus. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen to this sermon. May you trust and follow Jesus more and lead others to do the same. For more information, visit us at pabc.org.